listening to Women's Waves, a podcast by Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. My name is Florence Bellopage. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is a poetry reading by Indigenous lesbian feminist poet Christos. The reading was recorded on December 5th, 2020, as part of our annual Montreal Massacre Memorial. We've been inspired and moved by her bold, beautiful, and powerful words. We know they will leave an impact on you too. is dedicated to Iofemi Falayan, who is uh, an amazing writer that I had many conversations with about anger and, and race. And in fact, it's dedicated to her because I wrote this uh, actually in response to some of the things that we, were, we had been talking about. They are always telling me I am too angry, especially when I mention land theft or rape or genocide. They go to therapy to understand themselves, pound anonymous pillows safely with a stranger in the closed room of proper behavior. There is no pillow I'm angry with. As far as I'm concerned, I'm too tired to be angry enough, angry that I can't go any place without seeing demeaning images and outright lies about Indian people. I'm livid that we can't even keep the few pitiful acres we have left if they happen to have uranium or copper or coal. Furious that I never feel safe alone on the streets. Angry that other people of color are sometimes as oppressive as whites because whites taught them everything they think they know about Indians. Riled that an Indian friend asked me why I hang out with all those black people, angry with myself that I wasn't fast enough to say, why do you hang out with all those damn white folks? Steaming mad that a million people in our country, which is no longer in a recession, have no place to live. While office buildings sit empty for years, Enraged that you can buy a submachine gun in Florida about any other kind of gun any place you want, while the army and the cops amass more than enough weapons to kill every person on earth. Furious that my cousin got shot in the head and lives now barely able to say his name. I'm mad as hell at school, crack, and child abuse. I could easily kill several million random white folks just to feel a little balance on this poor earth. But I've known since I was little that no matter how many of us they kill, it's only okay for us to help them kill other brown folks or to cheat each other or hate each other or to buy stuff and imitate whiteness or to act like our own people are the real problem. And we're above it all. This is the pillow I'm hitting without any repercussions. Angry that women are in therapy while men have increased tenfold raping and murdering. Furious with child porn. The use of children to sell toilet paper and laundry soap, spitting with rage at intolerance, starvation, waste, greed, all of which are reflected in myself despite my efforts to seek balance. Boiling mad at my inadequacies and terror, raging that I'm still tortured by terrible nightmares, more than 40 years after I last saw the man who raped my childhood into razors and nut houses. A man to whom nothing has happened or will happen. A man who did it to many children. A man who my uncle handed me a picture of and said, this is when we were all such a happy family, though she knows what he did. A man who even my closest friends tell me I shouldn't kill. They're wrong. 
furious with the beaten parents who didn't protect me because they didn't think I was worth it or that they were who beat me to shut me up. Enraged that the black medical student was suspended for punching out a white one who wore blackface to a party as a joke. Aha, it's so funny when you pretend to be one of us. Ha ha, we're not angry when you do any damn stupid thing you please and punish us for our feelings in the matter. Ha ha, we love it when you buy your children fake teepees and headdresses and books by whites of our stories with pictures of us as pink, charming savages. Ha ha, we're so happy you want to get rid of us so you can have all our stuff and rename it and explain and defame it. I'm enraged with every lying son of a turd who takes our taxes to go to Bermuda and relax after spending our money to murder whoever is the current enemy, and it's sometimes us. I'm spitting with rage that most of my friends can barely scramble by. I'm angry that I can't sleep, that I hate myself, that I can't write as well as I want, because I'm so damn angry I can't breathe. Furious that nobody else seems to be angry and they don't want me to be either. Enraged at this whole sodden, rotting mess they keep calling civilization. As it poisons the air and the water and kills everyone in its way, which is so barbaric as to lock up its elders for the crime of not being able to take care of themselves. Who thinks of rage of age as disease instead of wisdom, which persists in calling queers sick or depraved or immoral, despite the so-called separation of church and state, which doesn't exist. Red hot that I have to defend my anger, that sometimes I'm the nice one in comparison to an even angrier woman, and then I'm treated with more respect, which demeans us both. I'm sick to death of blank eyes, zombies, nice girls, and lesbians who take drugs so they won't be depressed. As though depression is bad when it is a very rational response to our lives. And I have spent my life living inside numbing depression. Without drugs, gritting my teeth through another hour and resisting suicide with my bare hands because I can't bear to let them win when so many of my loved ones have blown their brains out in despair. I'm disgusted with drunks and everybody who thinks they're alive only to please themselves, even though some of them are my friends. I'd like to kill reality, which I don't understand. I want to blow up every stupid university pretending that it is teaching something new when all that's happening is that students are usually treated like fools until they care only about a piece of paper and whether I have a piece of paper or not. All the pieces of paper, all the degrees are burning up in my anger. Everyone will have to face each other as human. I'm sick of everyone who asks, what do you do? As though some corporate title or college BS is an identity. I want to tie up all the white supremacists into crosses set fire to their hatred. I want to fight back with every tendon of my weary body, run by a man who, by a mind who remembers the toilet taste of jail food, knows the brutality of nut houses, arms that remember straitjackets and forced drugs and the screams of women being dragged off to shock torture. Knowing that to speak up too loudly means to be killed because decent people beat pillows or their wives instead of racism or hunger, because the idea of being nice is more important than the idea of being real. It's the cotton candy we've all been eating until I at least am sick to death. I'm furious with English only laws, with Japanese bashing celebrated as some kind of special holy clean cut sport. Furious that anti-Semitism is as respectable as ever. And anybody who wants to talk about it must be a pushy Jew. 
I could kill those thousands of people who claim the Nazi Holocaust didn't happen. I'm angry that as these words rattle out of my mouth, I'm already cutting them back, cooling them off, taking the sting out because I'm afraid of what I might do if I hear one more damn time. Why are you so angry? Raging that common sense and kindness are passe, not quite with it. Angry that breast cancer kills twice as many women as men who have died of AIDS, SIDA, but we're all still pay paying attention to the poor men, as usual. I'm blowing my top about clear cuts, abuse of resources, abuse of workers, tortures of animals for testing cosmetics, with the terrifying idea that wearing fur makes a woman sexy or special with the largest slave labor force in the world, which is called the U.S. Bureau of Prisons. Sick of everyone watching light-filled shadows on a screen more important than life, that your average citizen spends more time adopting those shadows, enduring them, than speaking to their own children. I'm furious with my incoherence my inability to affect almost everything in my life. I'm angry with everyone who said some appallingly stupid thing about peace pipes or powwows or totem poles or teepees. Furious that the accepted ways to solve our pain are to pay somebody to listen to us or to adopt some party line without deviation and preach it to everyone else or to get high, or to buy yet another piece of crap we don't really need, or to disappear into games. Angry with organized and disorganized religions which fill people's lives with ignorant laws or hocus-pocus or convince them that pain is holy. Although I reserve most of my venom for the Catholic Church, which ruined my life with lies, I'm still unraveling. I'm angry that none of us lives to our potential, that we're frightened into being the least we can be to survive. Outraged that so much is swept under rugs that we can barely walk, furious that almost everyone still uses the word blind to mean ignorant or insensitive or clumsy that millions of trees are slaughtered to print romance novels or spy chillers and every kind of Wall Street garbage until I'm ashamed to put words to paper at all. Most of us can hardly function poisoned by corporate nonsense, assaulted with unnecessary chemicals, making somebody who hates us a nice fat profit. Angry that my back hurts all the time from cleaning the houses of the lazy wealthy for 20 years, not one of whom is as intelligent, creative, or powerful as I am. Angry that I'm going to die this angry and probably not be able to change a damn thing. Enraged that every place I go is inaccessible, even when they've altered the bathrooms inside because it's the law, when a chair still can't get up the outside stairs or in the door, at the braille signs inside elevators when there are none outside it. Furious with ignorance and apathy, those smug cousins in every family, I can't shut my heart to the pain thudding all around us. Here in my hands are all the faces of those I've seen begging in doorways, on freeway ramps, on sidewalks, begging for change for a meal or a drink, whose desperation is now against the law. This is just the scratched raw surface of my anger, which is fueled by the righteousness of knowing we don't have to live this way. We could embrace our profound connections and our deep differences, learn from each other, honor each other, begin to live without torturing. If you aren't as angry as I am, we probably shouldn't try to talk to each other because I'm furious with your fear of anger. 
I'm angry that others are always telling me that they feel the same way I do, but they're afraid to say so, or they don't know how, or they lose their job or their lover. If you can speak, you can be angry. If you can't speak, bang your fork. If you're furious with me because I haven't mentioned something you're angry about, get busy and write it yourself. There is no such beast as too angry. I'm a canary down this mine of apathy, singing and singing, my yellow throat on fire, with this sacred, holy, purifying spirit of anger. This poem is for Dee Johnson, who's now in the stars. Uh, when I knew her working at Big uh, Women for Big Mountain, uh, she was a character. I absolutely adored her. She was so wild. There was a way in which all, all of this ha had never touched her soul. She just, uh, she was just D and you better get fucking used to it. <laughs> so this is for D Johnson. I am not your princess. Sandpaper between two cultures which tear one another apart. I'm not a means by which you can reach spiritual understanding or even learn to do beadwork. I'm only willing to tell you how to make fry bread. One cup flour, spoon of salt, spoon of baking powder, stir, add milk or water or beer until it holds together. Slap each piece into rounds. Let rest, fry in hot grease until golden. This is Indian food only if you know that Indian is a government word, which has nothing to do with our names for ourselves. I won't chant for you. I admit no spirituality to you. I will not sweat with you or ease your guilt with fine turtle tales. I will not wear dancing clothes to read poetry or explain hardly anything at all. I don't think your attempts to understand us are going to work, so I'd rather you left us in whatever peace we can still scramble up after all you continue to do. If you send me one more damn flyer about how to heal myself for $300 with special feminist counseling, I'll probably set fire to something. If you tell me one more time that I'm wise, I'll throw up on you. Look at me, see my confusion, loneliness, fear, worrying about all our struggles to keep what little is left for us. Look at my heart, not your fantasies. Please don't ever again tell me about your Cherokee great-great-grandmother. Don't assume I know every other native activist in the world personally, that I even know names of all the tribes or can pronounce names I've never heard, or that I'm expert at the peyote stitch. If you ever again tell me how strong I am, I'll lay down on the ground and moan, so you'll see at last my human weakness like your own. I'm not strong, I'm scraped. I'm blessed with life while so many I've known are dead. I have work to do, dishes to wash, a house to clean. There is no magic. See my simple cracked hands which have washed the same things you wash. See my eyes dark with fear in a house by myself late at night. See that to pity me, or to adore me are the same. One cup flour, spoon of salt, spoon of baking powder, liquid to hold. Remember, this is all only my recipe. There are many others. Let me rest here at least. This is uh, for Martine Pierre Louis, who uh, was with me actually when I wrote it. and it's called Priorities. <clears throat> when he asked me the time, I said, 
don't bother me, I'm thinking of a beautiful woman. Ignoring my lack of watch, he grew angry. I put his anger in a passing trash can. I am still thinking of a beautiful woman. This is for Lee and uh, once Dennis Miracle, uh, <clears throat> who I used to hang out with in Vancouver. <clears throat> I was minding my own business on a ferry when a white man with distinguished silver hair in a gray pinstripe suit and cigar just called me ugly for no reason at all as I walked past him on my way to the toilet. I lashed back, I'd rather be ugly than stupid, get out of my way, which was dumb to say, but they always catch you with your pants down, your mind on other things. He had the nerve to say, my good manners prevent me from saying that to you. I should have punched him a good one in the gut. Everyone was staring at raised voices. I didn't dare hit him because they were all white and impeccable too. Between my black sweatshirt with a hole in one elbow and his tailor-made wool, who do you think would go to jail? Between my job as a maid and his ordering others around, who do you think the judge would listen to? Between my arrogance and his, who is right? <clears throat> he may well be the husband of somebody I've cleaned for. <clears throat> the other day, a husband referred to me as a character with scorn in his voice when I called his wife, his hand not quite covering the receiver probably deliberately. Heart pounding, tears turn to rock crystal. <clears throat> Spasmodically, I clench and unclench my fist, body shaking. It's a good thing I'm going dancing. I hope I don't spend hours hearing his voice and feeling ugly. The good manners in this country are enough to kill you. This poem is for Bonnie Blackwolf who is also in the stars. She was one of the people who died of AIDS. It's called One Fool to Another. When the owls called to us, we rode through a breaking dawn sky, beadwork patterns racing between our fingers. Our hands spoke when the small bird sang so sweetly, closing our long night of stones, words, memories, women in common. You entered with a soft feet spirit. We called to one another in voices of owls. We called to one another in morning songs. I heard the trees shake a bouquet of snow to the ground, both of us far from home. We rode to where I live, to the Three Sisters Mountains, to deep green hills where you live, to stones we leave behind. We called to owls from our horses. We called to the snow, to the indigo sky. We were so beautiful, everyone thought the sun was rising. This is uh, for Donna Langston, who uh, is a teacher, uh, I think at the University of Mankato, but I might be wrong. <clears throat> On my way to Washington DC to speak for lesbian rights, it all started when I agreed to lecture 200 students at the University on anti-racism. I did well enough, though I was at the bottom of a bowl of seats with a few scattered notes and a weariness with the subject deep enough to scream. There was the usual white guy saying he agreed with everything I said who couldn't go on when I asked him if he realized how patronizing it sounded for him to say that. And the usual white gal on the verge of hysteria who accused me of making him uncomfortable and claimed that reverse racism is real because 12 black girls in her high school beat her up once and the usual students of color relieved to hear me 
or anybody. Then speaking eloquently of their own experiences, there was the usual applause, tears of those I had touched. Then a woman came up very close to me. I thought she was a dyke, and then she said, I'm a white person, as you can see. Why do they always think they have to tell us that? And when things go wrong, it's always my fault. I want to know why you people, why are we always you people, can't see that this is your fault. She started to tell me that we didn't have to live as we do, and as usual, little bits of steam started around my ears, and then she said, are you a lesbian? Yes, I said. You're sick, she said with the usual venom. My arm went back, fury sudden hot, and in front of the departing students, I screamed, I am not sick, get out of my face. Oh, she was happy then to see me being the savage she knew I was, and how ashamed as usual I was that she could get me in the throat, touch my last raw, tired nerve, and blow up my heart. I hurried away. She chased after me to tell me two more times at the top of her lungs that I was sick. I shouted at her again in the halls, my fists still clenched. Her age, all that stopped me. Respect your elders, I hear my father murmur. She taunts me again. You'll go to the penitentiary if you hit me. Quite proud of herself. I shouted back. That's the only reason I haven't. A native student with tears in her eyes held me. Some black women encouraged me. Some white women thanked me. I had a plane to catch. All the way to the airport, all the way to DC, all the time I was in DC, my heart raced. I held in tears as well as I could, as usual. That old woman would tell you this grief and rage are all my own fault that she didn't ruin my elation at going to DC with thousands and thousands of other lesbians. That it's my own fault I'm poor, queer, and unhappy with America. She'd tell you that just as she thought, I'm a savage and we're all sick. Will you shout it with me now? We're not sick. Again, we're not sick. There was a time when uh, newspapers had personal ads in the back. I don't know, they may still do that, but at the time that this happened, there was, I, I used to amuse myself on the toilet reading the personals ads. They always gave me a big chuckle <clears throat> because they actually believed that you could write anonymously to everyone in the world about what you wanted and that somehow you would get it. <laughs> Anyway, so I wrote this personal ad uh, with my tongue deeply embedded in my cheek. And it's called Dream Lesbian Lover. Dream Lesbian Lover is there when I get home from work, but allows me silence to unravel, or better yet, isn't there, but has left a note and a little surprise. She rubs my feet for hours. She wants to love me till I can't stand no more, and she rolls over to me, so sweet. Dream lover cooks me hot meals and washes up after. Never arrives without flowers and only brings my favorites. Dream lover has long fingers, a patient, playful tongue, and thrives on five hours sleep a night. She could play the harmonica, weave pine needle baskets, Feed me a wedding sash, write me lust poems and love poems. Dream lover has eyes deep in the sky, feels herself in others, feels our connecting bones, rises early in the morning to make the best rich coffee. Ah, she could bring you to your knees with a look and does. Dreamy woman has a bed of lace and roses and home. She could build a fire in the rain, could always fix my car for free. Could call the dentist to make my appointment, iron my shirt when I'm in a hurry, knows how to make chocolate mousse, 
chocolate silk pie, black bottom cupcakes, molasses cookies, sour cream cake, lemon pound cake, and fresh mango ice cream. Oh, such a creamy, dreamy one. She's showing up tonight with a butch pout and a femme slink, a tough stance and a long knowing. Dream lover, she won't have any other girlfriends, but won't mind if I do. I wrote this poem uh, out at a push uh, when I was there by myself to write. Um, and I dedicated it to a dog called Oopy, who uh, came the first night I settled there and stayed with me. And I thought that for the week that I was there that Oopy was, well, I, I called him Nuzzler, but his real name was Oopy. He, I thought he was a stray and I was trying to decide whether or not I should take him home with me and feed him. And on the last day when I was there packing up my car, this guy comes loping around the corner and he says, oh, I see you got Oopy. And I said, what? And he says, oh, that's my dog, Oopy. And Oopy barked and ran off with him. And it was very amusing to me that Oopy stayed with me the whole week when I was writing. And I actually bought a bag of dog food <laughs> and fed him. So, uh, so when I wanted to publish this piece, uh, the editor, at press gang and i had a big fight about it she considered it a bad piece of writing and did not think that it was worth publishing but i wouldn't give in and so that's how come we have it was a saturday i was spending the weekend with them probably to babysit that night my mother often arranged these visits her sister had six children. They needed help. I was my mother's oldest. He was like a father to me. They said he spoiled me, really. He'd convinced me I was in love with him, so my reluctance was hidden even from myself. We went out to work at one of his mansions in the old green truck where sometimes I jack him off or suck his dick in the parking lot down at the old Sutro's baths. It was still an ice skating rink then, before it burned down the last time. His clients were in Europe. He was caretaking. It must have been late summer. Don't remember how old I was, maybe 13. It had been going on for a while. I didn't think I had a choice. Like cooking dinners and cleaning house. He turned on the sprinkler system and then took me down in the basement. Years before, it had been the servants' quarters. The old iron bedsteads and mattresses and dressers were still there. No sheets or blankets, but trinkets and faded things left behind. Dull lavender silk violets in a mashed bunch on a chair. Cobwebs, a gray ribbon that had once been pink on the floor. I was wandering in the different rooms, imagining what it must have been like to live with one tiny barred window to the sun underneath the ground and the people one served for probably 14 hours a day. Was this the cook's room or the upstairs maids? How old were they when they went into service? What happened to them? Are their children alive? Does anyone remember these rooms? The people upstairs are so rich that they allow them to decay. They don't need this space for anything. All the help lives outside now. No one is sheltered here. I wanted to cry down there even before what happened next. He wanted to fuck again. That was what he usually wanted. It was always there under the friendly words or smiles or hot apple pie treated zims. I didn't like him fucking me. It hurt terribly. He could make me come with his tongue or his fingers, but never with his dick. I turned into a rag doll when he fucked me, numb. My arms are still asleep. It was what he wanted to do. You go along with adults or they beat you. That's the way life is, isn't it? So we started to fuck. I don't think we took off our clothes. It was cold down there and we couldn't stay long because he had other lawns to water. 
I was helping him. At the end of the day, he would give me $5. I was so proud of that money. It helped out at home and bought my school paper. Somehow he realized that I had fucked some high school boys since the last time he'd been at it. I was bigger inside or something. Now I wonder if he really could have known. He yelled at me, did you do it with somebody else? I can't remember if I lied or told the truth. He hit me, black eye, yelling and more yelling about how I had betrayed him. I was a whore and couldn't be trusted. Did I cry? I cry sometimes to make people leave me alone. Or did I just stand there and take it as I also do, thinking it will be over faster if I just let them rip? He left in a fury. I was afraid he was deserting me. I didn't know how to get home from there. It was the rich part of town with no buses. They'd call the cops if they saw me wandering around by myself. He was probably only clipping the bushes or breaking the ground or something to make it look good to anyone who might be watching. Wanted to kill myself. Saw a rusty razor blade on the dresser. Tried to cut my wrist, saw it away unsuccessfully, though there were beads of blood. It was too dull. I didn't understand that it doesn't work even with a sharp razor. You have to cut higher up where you can get an artery. That's the first time I tried to kill myself. I got better at it as I got older, but didn't succeed. I still think about it as a solution, being in pain or numb. I write to thaw myself. He came back, more yelling. I was a no good, useless cunt and a stupid fool. What did I want to go do that to myself for? I didn't have the sense Mondu gave me. More hitting, threw my clothes at me, so I must have been naked by then. He liked to look at my breasts. Get dressed, you can do that right, can't you? This is the man who really loves me. Look at all he goes through for me. I believe him, not that different from my mother, who when she screams at me and hits me, says she loves me. Old dad, too. Isn't love being hurt until you can't take it anymore? Maybe I was crying by then because he shouted, shut up, and I froze inside, still frozen in that moment. Is he going to kill me because he's sick of me? I can replay it, go back to the dim light of that room, dust, shiny, corroding mirror, losing its silver on the back, ticking striped mattress with buttons whose prints were still in my back. I can feel the scratch on my arm, which would later be attributed to rose thorns and my clumsiness. Glad my mother never paid attention to me because she wouldn't notice the black eye. Worried my aunt would. I'm only supposed to fuck one person, the one who owns me, but to feel alive and free, I have to fuck others. Then it feels like I'm choosing to fuck instead of having to. My heart is racing as I write this. He'll show up on this porch hundreds of miles away to shout that he loves me. I can't write this, that I love him too. I'm betraying him. My most terrifying fear is that I do love him. I was such a child, I didn't know what to do next. I obeyed, put on my clothes, went out and got in the truck. We went to the next mansion. I pulled weeds out of the labelia border. He cut back a wisteria vine. I never said a word to anyone, not even him. I had learned so long ago that talking back meant being hit. I'm going back in time and cut his dick off with the rusty razor. It will take a long time and I'll thaw out while I'm doing it. Then I'll bash his head in and leave quietly by the basement door he's left ajar. I'll walk home. Home isn't safe, so maybe I'll just walk out to the beach and sit until something happens. If he comes here tonight, I don't have to worry. I'll stab him and burn him piece by piece in the wood stove. Nobody will ever know. Nothing's too good for him. This is um, one that I chose <laughs> that you didn't pick. Um, it's for uh, Osita, Para Osita, called Despacio. 
Slowly as petals open, our eyes meet dark to dark, each flying away in our various masks, feathers, costumes, ribbons, rattles, bells, words. We've seduced our bodies, rude consequences to return beside this circle of seeds, watching warily for the next placement of our feet. I dream of my hands caught in your sweet black sweep of hair, swimming in the river of your laughter. We're naked in hot sun, our breasts wet with a whole afternoon to roll around. I've given you far more than this rocking pleasure you acknowledge. I've taken much more than I admit. Drinking your joy as though I've come through a desert. I have. You ask for a new flowering as I'm boarding a plane. I accept that you might turn me away at any moment. Loving you is to swallow change whole, swooping on brilliant wings. To, new, to learn a new language of hint, gesture, delicate as this balancing of iridescence in our tears shed with shy grace. Let me touch more than your silk skin. Let more than my hand enter you. Let our eyes rest, drinking deeply. This bouquet I send is a kiss for each flower. Despacio, despacio. Because uh, this is for the Rape Center, I wanted to read this poem, um, which I don't read very often. It's a difficult one. Um, there's a slang, a cop slang phrase in, in the poem, DRT, which means dead right there. <clears throat> and this is Marty's poem because uh, Marty is the one who told me this story. I remember my cousin telling me they'd had some girl down by the railroad tracks. When they left, they thought she was dead, but they weren't sure. Gang rape, white trash girl, nobody cares, disposable Dixie cup raised to please men to death. Didn't have a moment to say a prayer. I keep thinking and thinking of her mama. It was almost like they'd run over a dog and didn't bother to stop to see if they killed it. State troopers reported DRT out by the old sidetrack. Information is sought on identity of the victim. A white female, approximately 18 to 20 years, brown hair, about 5'4", 110 pounds, wearing a pink flowered cotton dress, shoes and purse missing. I made a broadside of this particular poem and um, the people who printed it out for me made a, a pretty bad error. So I have 500 copies of this broadside that I never got to distribute. So I would like to read it to you, redeem it. Nightmare, I turn you into a shimmering black satin steed who speeds me away from their snarling wire, your neck damp, ears back, tail lashing, leaving clumps of turf cut through. My raped open legs clench your strong flanks as we gallop into daylight. Waking me up, your hooves are seeds of sleep, arms embracing your fast spin. My fingers ring peace from your mane. Nightmare, I flip you into a wide woods where they have not been. Light comes through the branches like family with a tenderness I invent from the dead leaves of their pain. I ride you, ride you, turn you until you leave. Sometimes, uh, well, I used to read newspapers, but then I found out that I was always uh, spending the rest of the day writing poems about what I've read. And so now I pretty much don't read the newspapers anymore because uh, I'm up to here with, uh, violence. So this is a poem that uh, came from a newspaper article and as usual in these things uh, they give the terrible story and then you never hear anything else afterwards. You never know what happened to the person. Did they survive? 
there's a there's a real brutality about newspapers that um, you know take our our deepest most horrific experiences and 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 reduce them to little black blocks of words that strangers read and then you know it's used to line the birdcage you know there's there's a real um, a really profound colonization disconnect in in how newspapers are in our lives. Uh, now I, I get the newspaper and I scan it to see how bad it is, whatever Trump is up to. Fortunately, that's gonna be over soon. We've been dying to get rid of him for four years. At any rate, um, I like the crossword puzzles, so I still get the newspaper. But uh, a lot of times it goes into the recycling bin without getting read because of, of pieces from it, like this poem. Only a small patch of her hair and her feet have survived unburnt his attack on her with gasoline and match. He was mad at her about something. She lies unconscious, a blur of unimaginable pain in the ICU, where they scrape, operate, scrape. Her mother and relative stand rigid vigil as the doctors debate on whether to pull her plug. He was mad about something, and every man can understand the lengths to which a man can be driven by a woman. Maybe he thought she didn't love him enough, or he was tired of her or she hurt his feelings, or maybe she was just there and he was in a bad mood. There was a can of gasoline around and she wasn't paying close enough attention to him. Ashamed, we pray she dies because, because what life could she make with feet, a small hank of hair and pain stretching unlimited until death. Poor and Indian to begin with, what disability check could provide a skin of safety for her? He's in jail. He was out on bail for a murder. He could get out again, filling up at the gas station. I almost vomit from the smell. She won't make the newspapers like the Central Park jogger who cares about some Indian woman who had bad luck and boyfriends. I scrape my heart's dead tissue. Can't even weep anymore, having survived a thousand stories like this one. Her hair blows across my eyes. She is walking barefoot on sweet clouds. I burn my arm accidentally, shiver with smaller pain that hisses her name. All's fair in love and war. Love and war are one. He was mad at her about something. Uh, I would like to close with um, a poem that I wrote this morning. Uh, I had an a head injury, a severe head injury about two years ago. And I'm, there's a lot of things that I have trouble doing now, driving a car, typing, things that require a certain kind of attention that I don't have. And, the most amazing thing is, is it didn't affect my ability to write poems at all. It's sort of like that exists in its own private realm in my brain. <laughs> so this is for Lillian Allen, whom I hope many of you know, a great musician, great activist. Uh, I was thinking about her when I started writing this poem. So as often happens, I dedicate it to whoever I'm thinking about when I'm writing it. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with them. <clears throat> I weep every day for the dead, none of whom I've known. Sometimes two or three times a day, often for an afternoon. I see no other grief around me as daily life blinks on and on, interrupted by ads for drugs. In the beginning, I was ashamed to be so moved by this loss of people to whom I have no connection other than the desire to live, probably as deep as mine. 
The paper inexplicably falls to the floor, caught in an unexpected flurry of air, sudden as death. Now I let myself sob whenever the loss comes, cooking and washing with tears. I don't have to explain my sorrow or justify or criticize. I weep because someone has to. Wetch. is going to create a Patreon where you will be able to support her work financially. Check out her Facebook page for more details. Her books are out of print, but please contact us if you would like to know how to buy them. Visit rapereliefshelter.bc.ca for our email address and phone number. Women's Waves is produced in Vancouver, Canada by Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. You can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Mixcloud and our website. What you're hearing is our theme song. It's called Sisterhood and it's created by Music Liberatory. Every sister needs a sister. Every sister needs a sister.